What's up? Thanks again for lending your ear this week on an episode of The Brew Deck. I'm your host, Toby Tucker, alongside my buddy Grant Lawrence. And today, because it is the month of Halloween, we have decided to throw a curveball, a little bit of a Hail Mary, and talk about uh, some just wild, crazy, scary, downright, just what the stories today. In an episode we're calling Tales from the Brew Deck. So what we've done is brought on several crew members of Country Mall Group that uh, have some crazy wild stories that they can share with us from the brew house. So let's start off with Jeff Fisher. Jeff, how are you? Hey, I'm great, Toby. Thank you for having me again, um, especially on an interesting idea of some strange things that we've seen in our industry or come across. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jeff, uh, if you don't remember, Jeff's been on several times. He is our territory manager who covers Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, Virginia, and West Virginia. And uh, alongside with me again is my buddy Grant Lawrence, who is our South Central Territory Manager. Hey, Grant. Hey, Toby. Glad to be on as always and and to hear some uh, some spooky stories. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for jumping on. A little teaser there about uh, October. You know, we, we thought about doing something unique in that, um, you know, it's Halloween and spooky stuff we thought it'd be cool to, to reach out to some of our team members and, and talk to them about past experiences either in the brew house or the tap room or amongst the stainless you name it about just just some strange or wild or crazy stories so I, i've heard you got one so jeff it's all you buddy oh thanks again toby i think the strangest and scariest story that i've ever really come across has been when a brewery was receiving a load of bulk malt from a vendor um and we'll leave everybody nameless on this one it was apparently it was a brand new driver. He had never delivered before, or at least on his own. And he showed up early in the morning, about six o'clock and pulled his hose off and went to hook it up to the silo. And when he went to the connection, he, he found that he couldn't lock his end onto it. And he tried a few different ways. And apparently he still just couldn't figure out how to lock that hose on. So what did he do? He, he went to his truck and grabbed the, uh, the universal uh, connector, big roll of duct tape, and he duct taped his hose end to a pipe, to the pipe. And he went back, that seemed to hold. And, and so he fired up his truck and he started blowing malt. And things, you know, went along smoothly for a little bit. And he noticed he was getting a lot of back pressure. So, you know, he figured he just turned up the pressure on the truck and uh, it started blowing, started moving again. And pressure, go ahead, crank up the pressure, crank up the pressure. This seemed a little unusual to him, but again, he, he didn't have, seem to have a lot of experience. So he kept uh, amping up, up, ramping up the pressure until he, it basically plugged. He couldn't get any more in. So he figured that he had filled the silo completely up and that he had plugged to the pipe. And, and uh, he, you know, he was thinking that maybe the silo hadn't been empty. They had told him it was going to be empty, but, but maybe it wasn't. And, and so he, he went and he cut the duct tape and he pulled it and the malt starts spilling out of the pipe. And so he, he finally goes and he, and he gets someone from the brewery and they come out and they realize that there's a really big problem here. Apparently, he had duct taped his hose to the downspout of the building, meaning they had what? like a, <laughs> yeah, they, oh. they, had, they had a flat roof and there was five or six collection drains up on the roof that fed to a central downspout. And the downspout runs between the two upright silos. There's two silos there and there's this pipe coming out of the wall and he had duct taped his thing to there. So up on the roof, there was five or six piles of malt 
where it's blown up onto the roof. I don't know how many thousands <laughs> upon thousands of pounds went up. It's like a it's like a geyser. Like nobody saw us. It's just like like clouds of malt exploding up on Dust the up on the roof. Yeah, yeah. Oh I my gosh. So back up for a second. You said <laughs> you said uh, universal connector pretty pretty early on in that story. You're talking like one of those big cam lock fittings. Well, I mean, the universal cam- connector of everything is duct tape. You can connect anything with duct tape, can't you? A giant roll of duct tape will connect anything to anything. Oh, man. So, Jeff, so are you these, serious, dude? Are you serious here? This this seriously happened. <laughs> so wouldn't the the, uh, the four-inch tube coming off it. the pneumatic truck oh. is round, and at least – I guess I I tend to see square downspouts. I right. take it this was a round downspout. Oh, they make so, round ones, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I think it was just a PVC pipe, right? So they had all these different pipes that ran up and under the roof and then connected to like a central downspout. And I'm fairly certain it was a four-inch PVC pipe. Wow. Basically coming out from the wall and would run the water somewhere else. And wow. he tied into that. Yeah. Oh my and gosh. So uh, needless <laughs> to say, that driver was never requested back again. Uh, but they had to like get snakes and roto rooter out all the piping and get of course get the malt off the roof before it started causing structural issues. And oh, so you're telling there was, me there's like there was forty eight thousand pounds of malt on their roof? I don't know that it was that much. I think <laughs> it was at least half a truck. I think okay. there was fifteen or twenty thousand pounds somewhere Whoa. in the system. Somewhere Man, I, in that system, there was there was a lot of malt. Yeah, I can only like envision that happening and watching somebody do that. And you see like the uh, you know the downspout shaking like tremendously on the side of the wall because all the pressure blowing that malt up there. That is yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, all right. Well, so what are the lessons here? I mean, you got number one, duct tape. First of all, if I got to duct tape anything, it's half right. Like duct tape is is a cure for issues that you have no idea what you're doing, or you just need a, a quick fix. Anytime you're using duct tape, it's probably you're using it because it's not the right application, right? Pretty much, yeah. That's why it's the universal connector. <laughs> oh, so what happened after? Did, so they just they got up there. You said they roto rooted out that well, like I'm guessing they had you know one of those kind of snake auger things that they yep. could, could run like just like you clean out a drain pipe or you know. Yep. I'm guessing that, but I'm sure they had to like sweep it up. Oh yeah. Bucket lifted off. I mean, there was guys up on the roof, you know, get, because they had to shovel it and get it down. I didn't see the complete cleanup. I, and I heard about it and saw some pictures in the aftermath, but I know that they had to like get, you know, like Roto-Rooter, like an industrial drain snaking company, put, you know, a hundred feet of, of, of augering snake up and clear it out and get the malt out of everything. This was my understanding on how it was taken care of. You know, it's always one of those urban legends other than I did see some photos of it. And I knew the people involved, the firsthand people. It wasn't, I heard it from a guy who heard it from a guy. And uh, so but to me, the biggest lesson to take from that, if anyone listening in our industry is if you get bulk malt or you're thinking about getting bulk malt, each time there's a delivery, have at least someone from the, the brew house or the, the company at least present when the guy begins to hook up, you know, to to start his blow. Just just make sure it's yeah. going where it's supposed to go. Like that's. <laughs> I think the other thing is sorry to cut you off. Right? The other thing is, is if if you're unsure whether it's driving bulk malt or it could be anything. If you're if you're unsure, just ask somebody. Right? Yeah. Don't make assumptions. And I'm just gonna oh, hook this pipe up here. It'll, it'll be good. Right. <laughs> Especially I'm, it's it's different than they taught me. But hey, you know, right. I'm solver. <laughs> I'm thinking that uh, you know, inadvertently they created a whole new kind of malt. Right? Like you've heard of floor malting. Oh my god! Oh. Got roof malted. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, downspout pale. 
That would have been a great idea. <laughs> One off of downspout pale malt. Never mind the little tastes of tar and grit in there. Oh, and that is Jeff. That is a great story. And I'm glad you shared with us. And uh, I'm thinking at the end of these with the rest of the team, Grant, we, we have like we vote on which is the craziest, strangest story. I think, Jeff, you're up there for sure at this point. It's certainly an epic fail. <laughs> well, thank you, gentlemen. I've, uh, you know, been around at least enough time to to see or hear some strange things. And when you uh, when you told us you were looking for some strange, spooky stories, that was the that was the first one popped into my mind. So it's definitely one of the weirdest things I've ever come across. And a good one it is, Jeff. Hey, I appreciate you sharing. Well, let's go on to the next one. Jeff, have a fantastic rest of the day. We'll, we'll chat soon. Okay, buddy. Thanks, Toby. Thanks, Grant. All Cheers. Right. See you. See you. All right, man. I'm loving this episode, Grant. The first one, Fisher was was awesome, and, and I'm gonna venture to guess, being Tim Roberts' history in brewing, that he has some uh, cray cray stories as well, just some strange stories. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, Tim Roberts joined us on the podcast before. So he's no stranger to us. And he's actually a territory manager for Country Malk Report. Uh, let's see, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, D.C., Delaware, Connecticut, Rhode Island. Did I get that right? Yeah, you got it right. Damn. Nice. First time I'm right. I'm good. <laughs> Tim, thanks, man, for joining us. I'm I'm interested, and I'll preface asking this question to you and, and let the listeners know that Grant and I have no idea what y'all are talking about. We, we simply invited some team members on to, to tell us some, some strange or crazy stories and just, we are hearing it for the first time like everybody else is. So it's uh, pretty exciting stuff. Well, Tim. as I say, um, you know, I've unfortunately had a little bit too much excitement in my brewing career. And uh, I'm happy to tell you a couple stories for sure. No problem at all, Toby. I'm ready. You ready, Grant? I'm ready. Yeah. So, so I, was, I was kind of thinking about it. I talked to an old coworker even kind of looking back. And I would categorize them as, you know, all problems in general. And I would call them man-made or otherwise. And so... Let, let's start with the otherwise category because, uh, you know, get off on the right foot so I don't look so, look so bad right away. So in 2011, in fact, I, I, in both the same year, believe it or not, I mean, I live in Philadelphia and it's not Texas. It's not California. We don't really have natural disasters up here. But oddly enough, in the same summer in 2011, there was both a hurricane and an earthquake in the Philadelphia area. And so the hurricane came first, which, you know, probably not a hurricane by Texas or Kansas standards, but for us, it was pretty intense. And in fact, we moved into this old brewery building that had these huge corrugated glass windows. I mean, there were those deals with like half inch thick glass and the, the windows themselves were steel framed and probably about 12 foot by 15 foot. And so when that hurricane came through, I was up in the office and I heard just a boom. And sure enough, those, those huge panels came in. And I mean, those things must have easily weighed, you know, three, 400 pounds a piece. And thank God no one was underneath it. But yeah, they shattered. And I mean, the good news, the silver line. Always, we had, of course, an impetus to put proper windows in. So it wasn't all bad, especially in that no one was hurt. And then later that summer, I was also sitting at my desk and I was making schedules or SOPs or whatever it was. And I feel like a rattling. And again, you know, I've been, I was in an earthquake once in Mexico, but I don't ever expect this kind of stuff in Pennsylvania. And so things are shaking. I was like, what's going on? So there was a window overlooking the brewery. So I stood up and looked out. I see our, our, our shift brewer, Matt Hall, just running for dear life out of the <laughs> And again, I can laugh now because no one was hurt, but you know, right. I talked to him about it. And he said, you know, he felt it too, kind of the earth moving a little bit. But the scary part, of course, was that those tanks and they were, they were 200 barrel fermenters at that point. So they were about 20, 22 feet tall, something like that, just swaying back and forth. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, you yeah. know, that window would have hurt you pretty bad, likely killed you, but I know that tank would have killed you. So gosh, that's scary. Yeah, we dodged a bullet for sure in that, in that regard. I mean, that's interesting. You mentioned Tim. Both both times, you're sitting at your desk. 
<laughs> so, so maybe you shouldn't sit at your desk. Yeah, maybe bad things happen when I'm away, right? <laughs> when you're working, yeah. Yeah, right. I never knew that, yeah, that there would be a hurricane and a, an earthquake in PA. That's crazy. I mean, the hurricane, the, the, the pressure differential thing, like right. that's that certainly happens. But I mean, it's not something anybody in, in PA is going to think about. No, you didn't even think about it. And I know when you buy tanks, you, you have to note if you're in an earthquake rated area. Of course, we've never bought tanks according to that kind of spec. So, right. Yeah, it's pretty unusual. Whoa. All good though. No, no, nothing fell over. Nothing in it. Just, just swaying and then chilled out. Yeah. I mean, the, the glycol connections weren't broken. Nothing else was damaged. I mean, I wow. think, yeah, I mean, it, thank God. I just also picture a domino kind of effect. It was kind oh, of that's scary. All those but tanks right next to each other. If it would have fell, it would have burst. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, absolutely. It would have burst. And God only knows what else. I mean, to me, it's always, I'm always, you know, a couple of these things, these stories that I might be able to tell are scary. There's potential hazard, but at least in, you know, in the 20 years that I was doing it, I never saw anyone or was never witness to or working with anyone that was seriously hurt, which is always my biggest concern. Oh, yeah. Yep. Lucky so, there. So those are the otherwise. I think that's yeah, what you call those so, categories. You know, the man-made, I guess maybe, you know, who, who knows, you know, how much am I to blame for all these things? I don't know. My old coworkers would probably say 100% and my kids would say 0%. <laughs> probably in reality is somewhere in between. So I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, but one time I filled our water lines, our supply lines with spent cream, which sounds like a challenge. And, you know, I'm, I'm always up for a challenge and I, and I achieved that challenge. And so what happened was, we used a progressive cavity pump as our grain out pump. And so it had to pump spent grain, you know, 20 foot straight up and about 120 feet back to a loading dock where our spent grain silo sat. So, you know, you need some pressure to do that. And so this, this progressive cavity pump and, you know, maybe those pumps in general, I guess I'd say they create between, I think it was between 180 and 200 PSI. And so, you know, they're that, powerful for sure. Yeah, that, that'll do it. That'll move the grain for sure. But we had water supply lines. I guess it was just one. It was just a city water supply line hooked up to it just to clean it out when you're done. Well, a brewer, to be unnamed, left that valve open. And so when the when the current shift brewer went to go grain out, you know, unbeknownst to us until the bottling crew came up running, and I'll get to that in a second. Unbeknownst to us, the grain, you know, because the city water supply is at about 60 degrees PS or 60 PSI. And, you know, a pump, that pump is about 180, I said so. We all know who's going to win that battle. And sure enough, so the spent grain, it just as we're graining out, you know, I'm just picturing now slowly going through that. I guess it was just three quarter inch copper moving, moving, moving. And so anytime anyone opened a valve anywhere, it would move a little further down that line. And so, of course, we were also bottling and therefore rinsing. And of course, the rinse water goes through filters and blah, blah, blah. But sure enough, that spent grain, the bottling line came running over, the bottling line guys came running over. You know, what is going on? <laughs> we are clogging our rinser with spent grain. And, you know, it took me a couple minutes to think think about how that's even possible, but yeah, sure enough. And so we got to clean it out, try to sanitize all those lines again. As we That's wild. Right. Never heard that one before, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't think that was possible. You know, when I was brewing, we, we had a similar thing, a, a big grain out thing, but ours was, uh, we used CO2 to assist it if it needed to, because it was kind of a long run to the spent grain tank, but, uh, no water lines hooked up to yeah. it. So <laughs> it was not a pretty day. <laughs> How long did it take Tim to get that all cleaned up and back rolling for your your packaging line? If memory serves, we called the day for the packaging line just because you know I think we might have just maybe pushed the whatever was in the line into kegs and just kind of took our breath and took a step back and you know cleaned those lines as best we could and resanitized them and you know 
needless to say that none of those guys running those machines were all too happy with me. It was also another instance of, you know, we, we made one step forward that day with check valves. <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought you were going to say was the check valve, check valve failed, but uh... no, no, I wish I could say, I wish I could have said that that day. <laughs> well, probably for a bigger conversation too. You, you know, we talked to some of these kind of man, there's accidents, if you will. I mean, they happen and I can imagine, and I'm not a, a brewer by trade. You guys are, but there's so many different steps in the process and things that can happen along the way. If kind of the SOPs aren't, aren't followed and it's, you hear, hear stories quite a bit. It's just, you know, anything, anything can happen. It's just a, it's a matter of, you know, when and how and just try to limit those by, you know, have, having those SOPs and Hey, this is what we do. This is the order we do them. And yeah, unfortunately things can happen. Well, yeah. I mean, as just going, you know, going back again, at least no one was hurt. And a lot of those SOPs over the years that, you know, all of us have dealt with deal with safety, but just me anyway, some of them, you just, you know, you, you kind of think it through the best you can, but sometimes you can't picture every scenario. So were you able to like isolate the water lines in the brewery and flush them and then somehow sanitize them or something? We just, we just did scorched earth. So we just okay. opened everything that we could. I mean, mercifully, the tap room was on a different supply line. So we didn't have to worry about that. So we were taking That's off good. laters and taking off, you know, everything, just open everything up and then filled it with, I guess we just cleaned it with false nitric. We didn't run one caustic through it. And, you know, and that was that. I think we probably ran chlorinated water through all those lines just in case also. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was probably not a very fun, I'm guessing three days, two days. Well, no, nah, it was about a day. About like, a day. Okay. We're bottling the next morning for sure. And I don't, yeah, I guess we stopped brewing for a little bit, but yeah, you know, beer waits for no man. So we have yes. to- <laughs> 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 So, and then I, I, I said earlier that, you know, I wasn't sure who was to blame on this one, but I'm, I'm looking over my list, you know, which is, as I said, is all too long. And I came upon one that is 100% my fault. And so what we did is we wanted to take our hot liquor tank and it's probably Grant, you have some experiences. A lot of people listening might have experiences where the, the steam jackets on tanks, almost kind of the first place to go because of the heat stress. I mean, stainless can take, you know, it's pretty resistant to corrosion, but the heat stress is another thing altogether. And so jackets fail and you get spider leaks. And then, you know, then what do you do? I mean, trying to weld those things, you're just, you're just chasing your tail in my opinion. So what we did and it's a good brewing tip, I think, is we put an external uh, shell and tube heat exchanger on it, a steam heat exchanger, and then a recirculation loop. And so it's just a more efficient way to heat and a, and a good solvent. So we could use this slightly damaged tank, no problem at all, with this external heat exchanger. And so when we took everything apart, we took the spray ball out of it. And, you know, as I said, beer doesn't wait for anyone. So you're kind of always rushing in production experience and, and production settings is my experience anyway. So functional. But then, you know, I'm looking at that tank and the CIP arm is off a bit, of course, because there's not really much use for it anymore. It's kind of steaming. You know, it's not the end of the world. I was thinking, well, you know, I'm going to reduce that. It was a big four inch fitting on top to, to hold that assembly. And I was like, man, we're wasting too much energy. So I'm going to, I'm going to neck it down and, and put a tube to the ground. I mean, obviously I can't seal it up, but I'm going to put a tube to the ground to kind of minimize that loss. So I necked it right down from four inch to inch and a half, ran four inch copper down to the ground. And yeah, it steams a little bit, but like, oh, perfect. You know, Good job at the brewery, Tim Roberts. There's there a good day. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Until so you're talking about the the CIP arm on the on the tank, or I guess the the arm going to the top of the tank coming to the yeah. floor. Well, it was an old it was an old bright beer tank, and so it had a you know sort of a standard CIP assembly that that attached to the vessel with a four inch you know clamp, right? And then the spray ball, of course, went into it. Oh, got it. Okay. 
So okay. we took all that out because it was no longer being used as a bright tank. And when we kept it, we would CIP it periodically. But I was thinking we don't we don't need that. You know, it's only going to cause problems. We took it. That, yeah, now I'm with you. Okay. Just another place to for for gross things to hide and grow and things like that. Yeah, right. If, if you, you know, make your life easier. So we took it all off and just sealed it up for the most part. Gotcha. So when I down, it ran into the copper, you know, down to the ground. So it was, of course, still open to atmosphere. The problem I learned, though, it wasn't quite as open to atmosphere. And so someone inevitably, you know, almost empties the hot liquor tank and they're, you know, rather than getting the, the hot water from the wort chiller in the brew house, you know, someone was cleaning and we were using it up. And so we had to refill it with cold water. And so I was actually, I think I was brewing that, or at least I was on the, on the floor. And so I hear this pop, pop, you know, like gunshots. I'm like, what is that? Right. <laughs> so sure enough, the, Everybody um, run. Yeah. Yeah, well, that thing, you know, this the steam part of it and, and the water that was in there already was at 190, 200 degrees, something like that. Uh, and when the, the cold city water in the winter hit it, it, you know, it sucked it in, it sucked the tank in. And because I had necked that down so much, it didn't have enough vacuum uh, relief. And so the tank, you know, partially imploded, which, you know, so usable. And, you know, we learned our lesson and put another vent on there and a whole nine yards. But the terrible thing about it was it was right in the path of the tours. And so every tour I would do, inevitably, someone would say, why, why is that tank dent? You know, why is that? And I would have to, you know, have to up to it. Keep on over. walking. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. No, over and over again. And in fact, a couple of years later, we had the CBC in Philadelphia. And I swear to God, and I think it's true, I think I gave about 40 hours of tours that, that week or whatever those few days, just one after another, hour tour after hour tour. So I had to, you know, there was egg on my face every hour on the hour, the whole week. (laughs) (laughs) Fully, you had like a big sticker to put there. Yeah, just a giant sign hanging up. (laughs) We even talked about like blowing it out, putting pressure and popping the jackets back out. And I, you know, Uh think that would have worked, but it wasn't. We didn't, other than me looking like an idiot, we didn't have a whole lot to gain by that hazard, you know? Right, right. Yeah, it's kind kind of a risk, even though it's done pretty, pretty often of like, puffing it back out but yeah yeah exactly huh. <laughs> that's crazy to think about like a tank that big and still being open to atmosphere and you're t- saying a one inch line and still being able to implode like i've certainly heard of this, this is the first time i've heard something like that happening so i'm not yeah. too surprised but just thinking of the physics of it kind of blows me away so grant you agree with me then yeah <laughs> you wouldn't think <laughs> you wouldn't think that it would be possible because it's like how much air like how much vacuum pressure would it take to do that to the tank I know. Then, I mean, this is like an, you know, this is like an engineering problem. It's, it's just impressive, really. Yeah. And I mean, I always sort of half joked, you know, the, the surest way to end your brewing career is to implode a tank. And <laughs> personally, I've never done that, but I came pretty close. That's right. It's uh, go from brewing to uh, living in a van down by the river. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> you know, with Chris Farley. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a mess. Yeah, for sure. Well, Tim. How long have you been brewing or prior to coming on board with CMG? How long has spanned your brewing tenure last? 21 years. I started sort of, you know, like a lot of guys cleaning kegs and volunteering, I guess in the beginning of 98. And I got my first part-time job. You know, I think I was first paid as a brewer in 2000 or sorry, 1998, and then stopped being paid as a brewer in uh, 2019. So about 21 years. And, you know, of course there's a certain symmetry to that. Awesome. Yeah, it's very. It's, uh, I had a chance, a lot of great experience, and, and some, uh, you know, and some wacky ones as well. Yeah, great. I love them. I love it. Anything else you can think of that might uh, surprise us or baffle us? 
well, I have one more man-made issue that I'll, I'll relate quickly because I know there's a lot of there's a lot of people talking on this. Is that we went out to an MBAA meeting, right? And so we were traveling up to actually Boston Beer. Philadelphia is not that close, and so it was almost the whole brewery. And we just went as, as a big group. And we're real active in the MBAA. Yards was and is. So I think there were probably twelve of us, and that might have been all twelve of us at the, at the time. And so that day, what we were doing at the brewery is we were kind of grinding holes through the roof in order to run the stack for a new kettle that we had installed. And it didn't go well, right? And the, sometimes the end of the days, and you know, every brewer will know this. The end of the day, it, you know, comes a little too fast sometimes when you when you're under the gun for some kind of time thing. So we left it. You know, we put away the grinders and you know, blah blah blah. Didn't think anything. And we'll tackle that. We'll get some new grinding wheels the next day, and you know, and we'll be good to go. We got there. Get home and we went to the event, no problem. And then a few of us, about three in the morning, starts to get phone calls from the fire marshal. You know, what? what happened? You know, maybe lightning struck. You know, who knows? You know, no, no clue. But what had happened was that grinder, you know, especially as they stop effectively cutting, they create a lot of friction. And where friction, come, you know, there's always heat behind friction. So it had sort of kind of started to smolder. Like we, no one could see it there, but it had smoldered. And sure enough, we come home and, or, you know, fire marshal heard an alarm and there was a huge fire on the roof. Some, you know, some homeless guy had been living up there at some point, apparently, and mattresses up there, you know, God only knows what else. Sure enough, it caught fire while we were at Boston beer. Wow. (laughs) Just from an angle grinder, just, I'm guessing, I'm guessing it got like some, I'm guessing you were like angle grinding just through some kind of aluminum roof or something. And then it just, it it got the insulation, I'm guessing. Yep. Whatever the insulation was and, the, you know, however many layers of roof have been put on over a year. I mean, the building itself was, I think, 120 years old or something like that. Got it. Aaron Works store. So, I mean, God only knows what people did to that building over the years. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Multi-layers of TPO yeah. and all that. Oh, the, the fire trucks have to come wash it. They have to come spray it down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had to break. They had to break through the brewery. They had to get roof access, bring a hose through, you know, spray it all. You know. <laughs> Did you put in your notice that day? No like, eh, let's see. Of course, no one's hurt. Yeah. Your, your feelings, your pride. What that one? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I still think the hot liquor, the hot liquor tank was the worst one, especially where. It, I mean, I can still. That it's another brewery today. I can still go see my air today. Oh my! Right. It, you're creating leg, legacy. Or you did. <laughs> exactly. Right. Leaving your mark. That's right. Right. Yeah. No one's going to forget Tim Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> well, we. We certainly don't. We know who you are and we appreciate you. Certainly appreciate Good. you jumping on, Tim. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I really enjoyed it as always. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. Yep. Talk thanks, to you soon. Bye. All right. All good stuff. Happy to have uh, the next guest on who is, I believe, is his first time on the podcast. So, so right. good to have him on. It's uh, CJ Pinzone, who is our inside sales rep, uh, Country Mall Group. Uh, let me make sure I get all this right Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Delaware, DC, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Mass. Yes, sir. Man, awesome. Well, CJ, we haven't spent a whole lot of time together. You're fairly new to, to Country Malt Group, but I know your background is pretty extensive in, in the industry and, and happy to have you on in this kind of this Hail Mary of an episode here. We're talking about um, strange and crazy or you know weird things that have happened either in the brew house or in the tap room in the, in, in the industry. And I've heard you've, uh, you've got some, some pretty unique stories, huh? Yeah, I've worked at a few different type of breweries, so plenty of stories to go around. All right, I'm ready. All ears. Cool. I mean, the first one that came to mind for me uh, was at my first brewing gig. It was a little brew pub, and I was 21 years old, so I was still getting used to not only a brewing gig, but you know, just like real world work. And uh, that brewery was 
pretty tight. So we would be brewing, assisting with filtration and cleaning a tank hole in a typical day at the same time. And I remember I was late to work one day and I was behind on my stuff. And my boss came in screaming at me, you know, get that hose off the tank, get things moving. So in a panic, I ran over and accidentally took off the wrong clamp. So instead of taking the hose off the tank, I took off the entire valve. Now, of course, this tank was our uh, barrel-aged imperial stout, and it oh, was no. 30 barrels of it. So the tank was at 12 PSI, and 30 barrels of barrel-aged imperial stout just started pouring out. It knocked me over, and if you turn around, it just looked like a black sea going out and flooding our tap room. So <laughs> I'm sitting there trying to get the valve back on, and I couldn't. So my boss pushes me aside, and he, he was able to get it on. And I wish I had the security footage, but you just see me walk out, look left, look right. And I was just defeated. I thought I was going to get fired that day. But uh, luckily, I was able to get it cleaned up and dry before the tap room opened. But, you know, that that took uh, pretty much all morning. So what did you learn from that mistake? The show (laughs) up on time? (laughs) One, show up on time. And two, to uh, always double check which valve you're taking off. That is something... I took with me to every single place I worked afterwards. That was a mistake. You don't make twice. The other thing too is, I mean, brewers are under a lot of pressure, a lot of speed, a lot of stuff going on. I I think maybe that additional pressure and, and yeah, like determination on the fact of uh, the owner's perspective probably didn't help either. Right. Kind of in a panic, you're new to the the brewing gig and want to do things right. And in a haste just just did the wrong thing. Yeah, no. and, And that made it a lot tougher in the moment. And when I actually had the opportunity to, run a brewery and manage a staff. I, I was a little more laid back with them um, and just, you know, made sure that they knew that safety was priority and following the procedures. Speed uh, comes later. So great, great, great point. I'd like to mention for anyone out there listening, you know, who's not a pro brewer, doesn't already know this. It is relatively easy to do that. I mean, the, the clamps are maybe two inches apart on opposite sides of the valve. So if you take off the back one and not the, you know, not the one with the hose, you take off the entire valve, like he just described. I mean, they're literally right next to each other. So it, it is a tragic mistake, but it's understandable. I think the last thing I took away from that was always to have a change of clothes in my car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> took a bath that day. I did. My boots were filled to the brim and I was covered head to toe. So I bet it's, you know, good at least. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, it would have been if we had some footage, if, if you just were like, huh, and then go grab you a pint glass or something, just, you know, start underneath the outcoming barrel aged stout, just start enjoying a beverage. Exactly. It could have been, uh, you know, I could have been soaked in a lactose beer. So, Oh man, that's a rough one. Yeah. So do we want to just keep going? Is that? Yeah. 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 Let's keep going. Cool. Yeah. Uh, another one. Uh, this one's a little funnier. I was working at a brewery that contracted for other brands and I won't name any names here, but one day we're sitting there and on the receiving dock shows up a pallet of Skittles and a pallet of lactose. And I was hoping the Skittles would be in bulk form where we could just, you know, dump them in pretty quick. But no, it was in one pound packs. So <laughs> I spent two days of my life adding Skittles to a tank one pack at a time. And All right. So <laughs> let me back up here. A full pallet. I mean, typically, a, what we're sending, you know, 2,200 pounds in a pallet. Was it? Yeah, it was a little bit less than that. You know, probably a thousand pounds of Skittles, but it was still not a full size pallet. Oh my Your gosh. first mistake was was adding Skittles to the beer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Halfway kidding. So after like 80 bags, CJ, after about 80 bags of that or 20 for that matter, do you find some unique way to, to open those? 
as opposed oh. to, you know, it's the normal, like you would a bag of chips or something. Oh yeah. We were opening like six at a time <laughs> and dumping them in that way. <laughs> like big one, one pound plastic bags. Um, yeah. It was kind of like the family packs you can get at the grocery store. I've got it. Might have, <laughs> yeah. It might even be one and a half pounds, but it was minuscule compared okay. to what needed to be added. Oh, okay. So next, next question here. What were you brewing with Skittles and how did that beer turn out? So this one actually surprised me. It was supposed to be a kettle sour with Skittles. It was called Taste the Rain Bro. (laughs) (laughs) And we thought it was going to turn out like a brown, muddy color from adding all the Skittles, but it actually turned out to be like this really nice orange color. And the lactose and Skittles balanced each other out and the beer was drinkable. Interesting. Uh, Not my cup of tea, but I could see how people would enjoy it. Maybe, hopefully only did that one time. Is this one brew? That was the only time I made that beer. And it actually, you know, I think that's the moment where I realized beer was getting really weird. Um, (laughs) Because when I started, I mean, I worked at a pub where we filtered all of our beer. You know, we had the standard golden ale, ESB, order. And then, you know, here I am dumping Skittles into a tank. It was a pretty wild moment in my career. So when you add those, like it's, you're, you're adding Skittles in primary, I mean, are they fermenting? Did you, did you get gravity? I mean, it's kind of hard to measure, but. It was hard to measure, but they did add a little bit of fermentable sugar in it, you know, it kicked up a secondary fermentation. So sure. A little extra activity the next day. What was it like cleaning Skittles out of the bottom of that cone? Terrible. It was just, <laughs> no. Yeah, they're physically reach in and, you know, take the big clump out. Uh, the rest of them we were able to flush. Yeah, I would imagine it would just turn into a big brick at the bottom. Should yeah, have packaged, you- packaged them as like beer-soaked Skittles, <laughs> you know? Sure, there's a market for that, unfortunately. Yeah, probably. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because, uh, Ray, you remember talking with Ramari? Uh, yeah, oh yeah. Folks up in North Carolina about strange things in beers that they've used. And yeah, they talk about all kinds of stuff they put in beers, but Skittles, that's the first I've heard of it. Yeah, that was the first for me as well. Uh, and alas, thankfully. <laughs> Sorry you had to go through that, CJ. Yes. Ah, it's okay. <laughs> it wasn't our beer, so it was a contract brand. I'm all right yeah. with that. Got it. Yeah, I mean, in that similar vein, I worked at Trogues, and every year, people love the Mad Elf beer. It's a Belgian triple made with cherries and honey, and we had to add, you know, thousands of pounds of cherry puree per batch. And the one year, the, the brewer was bringing the tote around, and he stuck the forks right through this giant tote of puree and uh, started flooding out everywhere. And for some reason, while this was happening, I decided, all right, let's start saving some of this. So we're just standing there with buckets trying to catch <laughs> cherry puree. I mean, it wasn't going to be used in this beer, but I had the wherewithal to call a buddy to see if his brewery could use it because they had fooders and, and whatnot. And sure enough, he's like, whatever, I got a beer going in the fooders soon. How about you bring some of that cherry puree over? Looks like gold. Exactly. So instead of seeing all this go to waste, um, those buckets we were actually capturing ended up going into another place's beer. So, could have so been that's a lot worse. So that's like you said a tote, like one of those plastic, whatever, like 285 gallon IBC totes. Yes. Mm, that's a lot of puree. <laughs> yeah. And, and and at the same brewery, we the tour path used to go right through the brewery. And we also made a mango beer. And the one time I was adding mangoes and the hose blew off because uh, it was actually a plastic connection on a stainless steel. So it wasn't very, very tight. And uh, a group of people on the tour just got hit with mangoes. <laughs> the real brewery experience, right? That's right. So, <laughs> you're <man>. welcome. <laughs> welcome to the brewery. 
mango sprayed. Oof. Good stuff. Was that just the valve breaking off the bottom of the tote or something? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So it was a, it was a plastic valve and, and we basically had to come up with a contraption that went from that to stainless steel. And it was, it was, I don't want to say homemade. I mean, we had a team of, of people on staff that could handle that stuff, but it wasn't a perfect connection. Yeah. Uh, so the pressure, the pressure just blew it off um, when we were trying to add it to the tank. Got it. It's like you, know you the, thread, thread in one of those, I guess it's like a sanitary fitting and then thread that into the ball valve at the bottom of it. Correct. Gotcha. The problem there, CJ, is you didn't use duct tape. We I should have thought from, of duct tape. Uh, yeah, we, we learned from Fisher that duct, duct tape apparently <laughs> solves everything. All connectors. Universal. Yeah, That's universal right. connector. I think that was the term. <laughs> duct tape and zip ties. That's all you need, guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the last story I have was this is at the brewery I helped build and run. We were kind of out there in, in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. You pretty much had two styles of beer out there. It'd be uh, Yingling Lager and, and Bush Light. And oftentimes for the first six months, uh, when we didn't have any beer to go yet, uh, you know, no cans, no bottles, we would just have cans and cans of Bush Light all over the parking lot. So people were like chugging these beers before they came into the restaurant. Um, and <laughs> I know. And one day I got off my shift and I happened to look out the window. And, you know, there's this whole group of people. There must have been 10 of them. And they're just like chugging Bush Light. But at this point, we had just canned our first run of cans and, and it was our pre-mail that we did. So I just went in the cooler and, and brought out a case of beer. And I was like, guys, yeah. you're going to chug beer, at least chug our beer. <laughs> and, and we all sat there and, and, and shotgunned a beer together. And, you know, I saw them later on and you know, they did start purchasing the pre-mail. So it ended up winning in the long run. All right. Yeah, really good. <laughs> Pre-gaming before a, a visit to a brewery. That's uh, it's impressive. It's dedicated. Exactly. <laughs> I think they were afraid they weren't going to like any of the beers. They're like, oh, we got to drink this Bush Light before we go in there. You know, it's not really the first time I've heard of that. I have, I've, I've heard of this happening at breweries before, but uh, it, it always kind of, it's a kind of a head scratcher for me. Exactly. Shouldn't you do it the other way around, right? Like have the craft beer and enjoy it and then, and then go on to like the, you know, the other stuff. I, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's really all I got, guys. All good stuff, yes. CJ. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate the insight. All all good stuff. And uh, looking forward to uh, seeing what the, uh, you know, I wish sometimes Grant, we had like dial in because I can guarantee you that people listening definitely have some, some odd or strange stories as well to share. So for sure, maybe we'll try to figure out how to like duct tape, I don't know, cell phone to my microphone or something and do that. Just call in. Yeah. If you're out there listening to our, our sort of tree house of horrors episode, please, uh, you know, go ahead. If you feel like sharing, you know, drop it on Instagram or something. There you go. It's a good idea. All right, CJ. Hey, thanks buddy. Appreciate it. I'll let you get back to it. Yeah. Thanks guys. All right. Thanks. All right. We're having an awesome time today. Again, for the listeners, just jumping in, we are talking about, I would call it strange, crazy things. I think it's fitting for the month of October and we could call it tales from the brewery. Grant, you mentioned, uh, what was the, uh, what was it that you mentioned yesterday? Oh, geez. It was, uh, you know, the tales from the treehouse. Yeah. Yeah. The classic Simpsons episodes where they do the treehouse of horrors and it would just be like a bunch of horror stories. I think that's kind of what we're going for in this episode. (laughs) There's been some fun ones and and funny ones so far. We're going to continue that, uh, with, uh, Zach Grossbelt, who's been on the on the show before and is a contributor to the podcast in general, has obviously got a, a background in brewing and, and history in the industry. So excited to have him on. He's uh, the Country Malt Group Inside Sales Rep. He covers uh, Oregon, Idaho, Colorado, Wyoming, Nebraska, and Kansas. Hey, Zach. Hey, guys. How's it going? 
Pretty good. I'm excited to hear what you got for us as far as uh, strange, crazy stories in, uh, in your history in the brewing industry. What you got? Yeah, of course. I got a couple of stories that you know make me smile, reminiscing about them. Uh, the first one I'll bring up is, uh, yeah, probably the biggest mess I've had to clean up uh, at the brewery. It was a day after the Oregon Beer Awards. And if anyone's out on the West Coast and haven't gone to them, um, yeah, you know, we, we enjoyed couple beers uh, the night before. And, you know, of course we had to be back at the brewery bright and early to, to start cleaning tanks, burn some beers, all that fun stuff. And one of my, my dear, dear coworkers, um, yeah, he was, he was having a rough morning and volunteered to do a CIP and just kind of isolate himself in the corner. And yeah, so, you know, morning's going well and he proceeds to go to the tank, uh, start blowing it down and kind of gets to the point of, uh, taking the uh, bottom valve off the bottom of this fermenter. And just goes for it. Just takes the full valve off the bottom of this fermenter. And I guess thought he had, a or someone else had blown it down and emptied it. But yeah, all of a sudden we see this uh, really thick, dark liquid just shooting across the brewery. And these, this is a 120 barrel tank. So there's a lot of pressure and a lot of product in this tank. And it was the darkest 10, 20 barrels of beer just spraying across the floor. You know, can runs going on. It's, it's getting into everything. So that was a, a good lesson in, uh, yeah, checking your tank before before you start any kind of process with it. It was an extremely sticky mess, kind of in the winter, a nice thick stout just spraying everywhere. Sounds like he was uh, working that day with CJ Grant. Yeah, that's right. Very, very, very similar story <laughs> of what was happening there with a uh, barrel-aged stout. That's right. Right, Boy. just shooting everywhere and just all over the place. And it was a, it was an early morning as well. I think he was he was late to work. Uh, and kind of badgered by his uh, his employer at the time and wasn't paying a lot of attention, but 120 barrels all over the place. Did you guys cap it? Would, would you? Yeah, we uh, we learned a lesson that day to always have um, one of those uh, T's with a valve on either side of it. So you can throw it on there and then shut them one by one. Just always have one of those sanitized, ready to go. It's a good point. Um, yeah. So we threw one of those on and uh, we're able to save most of the product. So we were probably down to like 95, 100 barrels or so. But yeah, it was it was a fun mess to clean up. Why is it why is it always when this happens, it's like it's it's the 1020, 1015, like finishing gravity, big sticky stout. It's never like, oh yeah. It's, it's it's like the Perfect hardest, lot. stickiest one to clean up for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. so 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 your co your buddy there that was responsible for that was having a having a rough morning. How do you feel about that? Was he was he still employed by the end of the day? Oh yeah. You know, we, we were reminiscing about this not too long ago, and uh, he's he's doing great at the company, um, has a lot of responsibility, and I don't think has ever made a mistake like that again. <laughs> yeah, I think we all we all get one or two of those before, you know, then the employer looks at our employment. But yeah, he's, he's doing great. He's a great brewer, just uh, maybe a little bit too much the night before. I have I have a, another similar one. And this one, while it wasn't quite as big of a mess, it's, it's a little bit similar. And this was I'd been working in the cellar for about six months at this point. So I was uh, still kind of getting my feet underneath me, starting to feel confident, but we didn't go all night brewing, but we ran our brews pretty late, like 11 or 12 at night. And the specific day was just myself and the brewer and she was brewing our GABF batch of Pilsner. So really, you know, paying attention to cast out temperatures, all that fun stuff, and really involved in this process. And I was just, you know, sweeping up the water and getting the cellar ready for us to go home. This is probably 1130 at night. And the way our cellar was set up, we had a same brewery, so 120 barrel tanks, kind of in a tank farm. And then just because of the limitations of the facility, we 
had our wild barrel room kind of in this repurposed office just off to the side of this tank farm. And right outside of it, we had a blending tank where we would blend our wild ales and uh, package out of. So she's casting out the GABF Pilsner. And all of a sudden I hear like this gunshot. It, you know, scares us half to death. But I walk around the corner and this blending tank full of, you know, very wild beer is shooting up to the ceiling. And this is like a warehouse. So this is many stories of just highly pressurized beer just jetting to the ceiling. And yeah, I had no idea what had happened. And this brewer who does not want to touch anything wild while we're casting out GABF Pilsner is like, hey, there's the rupture disc. It's it's shot. It failed. We need to make this stop spraying wild beer as soon as possible. And I didn't know what to do. So I just kind of diverted it until it eventually you know, lost some pressure and I was able to cap it off. But yeah, that one was probably the highest pressure and you know, not enough people there to clean it up. So I think we were there to like two or three in the morning that night. Wow. So it, it just it got overpressurized. It was like in a in a bright tank. You said it was a blending tank. Yeah, so it was like a, a bright tank. Uh, didn't get overpressurized. Uh, the rupture just just failed. So we held it, you know, probably around fifteen to twenty psi, and usually those are rated for thirty, if not more. Yeah, and it just failed. Yeah, absolutely. Huh? Wow, that's really that's the first time I've ever heard of that that thing failing. So you know, at, at fifteen psi or something like that, crazy. Yeah, we we uh, started swapping out rupture discs at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the PRV was still on top and hadn't gone off or anything. Right. Yeah. All the the P the PRV is always set much lower than the rupture. Wow. That's just, that's just unfortunate. Yeah. And my boss got in the next day and I was like, Hey, is this like a normal thing? He's like, no, no, that's not a normal (laughs) thing. Do we need to rebrew Pilsner? I was like, no, I think we're good. I was, I was pretty covered in it. And yeah, we got that all taken care of. And yeah, it was, it was a good baptism by fire. Yes. You know, the, the the common theme has been duct tape cures everything. What, what you what you capped it off with? I mean, you're you're speedy. What, what how how do you uh, you know stop the leak? I'm not proud of this um, solution, but really just diverted the the stream with like a five gallon bucket until I could force a uh, just a cap on it. Well, yeah. So we probably lost more beer than we should have. And yeah, I, I think there were probably more elegant solutions to that. But <laughs> it's thinking on yeah. your feet. So it just had like a a try like a you know, a plain old sanitary, like triclover fitting burst disc on it. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's, I I would say those are my two most memorable. I think those messes just really stick with you having to clean those up and (laughs) yeah, the high pressure of like, don't let this touch the beer that we're submitting to competition. Right. It's pretty fun. Oh, but (laughs) there's nothing about, uh, you know, the, the, the fantastic aroma of a, a pint of beer, you know, but when you get, all that stuff all over your clothes and your hair and stuff. It's, it's not, uh, it's no longer uh, appealing or appetizing that much, is it? Yeah. It's a pretty satisfying shower uh, after a day at work like that. Why does, why do things like that always happen towards the beginning of a shift? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Yeah. Just when you're either going to have to sit in it or <laughs> right. this one at 1130 at night when I'm like, I just want to go home. I'm already, I'm already worked eight hours. <laughs> oh man. Well, in situations like that for, for a couple of brewers, I got on the phone. Like if, if you run into an, into an issue and it's in the last like five minutes of your shift, do you just bolt or, and hand over, you know, the problems to the oncoming brew crew or you got to sit, sit around expected to help uh, clean it up and solve the situation? I feel like, <laughs> well, I know what you, you know. want to do, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, look at the time. Uh, I got to go. Oh, man, this happened in the middle of the night, right guys? I didn't see anything just spewing up to the ceiling. What? I would say the answer to that is 
stay after for a reasonable amount of time, like an hour or two, just until it's a little under control was, you know, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's what yeah, I would do. No. We definitely Unless- got back and had to clean the outsides of all the other tanks that got all this wild yeast on it. And yeah, all that fun stuff. Especially if it's completely like your fault. If it's like, you know, if it's, it's, if it's a, an act of God or something, right. <laughs> then that's a little different. Like, then it's like, yeah, stuff happens. Yeah. An act of a poorly made rupture disc. Right. <laughs> so is that just, I don't know if you recall or not. So that, that beer, that GABF pills that you guys were brewing, that was for submittal for GABF. Did, did it end up, how did it end up doing? Did it win? Or was that uh, a prior, a prior year winner and you guys were just brewing it for no, I think at that point it, it had never meddled, but we were we were especially proud of it. It ended up tasting good. Uh, we submitted it still. We uh, did everything in our power to test to see if it got infected. Used some other breweries, more advanced labs to really run that one through, but turned out good. Uh, didn't win any medals, but uh, tasted great. Nice. It's good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, all good stuff, Zach. I appreciate your time joining yeah, us again. I always appreciate your uh, your participation with Grant and I on uh, these podcasts and uh You've got a lot of uh, intel and expertise that you fold into these things every week. And I appreciate you jumping on. I'm sure we'll have you on again. So appreciate it. Make a, make it a great day, Zach. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you as well. Thank you. Yes, sir. On to the next one. As again, uh, this, this episode, we're bringing in some uh, team members to talk uh, crazy, weird brewing tap room type stories. And I don't think uh, we could have a better guest on to talk about it because he's uh, well seasoned in the, the brewing world. And he's been on the episode before, or not this episode, but a podcast before, and is a contributor as well. Is John Egan, our uh, Country Malt Group uh, Territory Manager down in SoCal, also uh, looks after Hawaii and Arizona. What's up, John? Hey, what's up, Toby? Thanks for having me. No problem. I bet we could go at least have a good hour, two hours to, to listen to, to some of your stories. I'm sure you have some great ones, but uh, in 10, 15, how about you uh, throw some at us and, yeah. and uh, see what happens? Yeah, totally. Like you said, there's I could go on forever and ever. I've got a, I've got a few stories, but I, I thought about a few that might be the most entertaining or just kind of odd, fun. One that that always comes to mind is uh, the tale of the missing scrub brush. So I was a young brewer, and uh, I, I won't disclose which breweries these were, just for uh, for their integrity and and my own. But right. uh, folks Understood. can figure that out. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I was. I was probably had been brewing professionally for, I don't know, six months, a year or something. And uh, part of our CIP program was, you know, tank inspection after a hot caustic, rinse, inspect the tank. We had a couple tanks that didn't get, well, that, they didn't clean that well with the spray ball by themselves. So we had this, this tank specific scrub brush. Okay. It only was used inside tanks. If it ever got used anywhere else, we threw it away and bought a new one. It was on like an extension pole. So I think it went out to like, maybe 10 feet or something. It was a nice scrub brush. Anyway, one day I forgot who it was. If it was me or who it was. There's only like two or three of us that were shift brewers. And, um, you know, we couldn't find this scrub brush. And, you know, I went and asked the head brewer, I'm like, man, where's the scrub brush? Went all around the brewery. No one could find it. And we were kind of disturbed. We're like, dude, who did somebody like take this home? And like, we had a joke, ongoing joke about parts going missing that somebody's out there building the brewery piece by piece <laughs> over like 40 years of accumulation <laughs> right, of stuff. Right, right. You're like, you're like, where did that, where did that, that cross or where did that T go? You know, and be like, well, somebody's building the brewery again. 
Um, <laughs> you like miss, missing a tank one day. Huh. Yeah. Right. right. So, so was this for like the top of the dome in the fermenter? Like, like if a spray ball, just like a spray ball shadow, basically is what you're saying. Yes. And no, I mean, these were, these were like 120 barrel fermenters. So you couldn't really get all the way up there for those instances. We usually, usually pull out the pressure washer. They hit, okay. like the hit the dome, but okay. uh, this is kind of for the walls, like the scum line, you know, the Krausen line. Um, sure. So anyway, we're like, did somebody, somebody build a brewery and they, they needed the scrub brush? Like it's lame, Like, come on. So after like a few days go by, I don't know who had the idea, but they were like, okay, who, who was the last person confirmed to use scrub brush? And it was this one guy. And so, you know, the head brewer was like trying to get, get to the bottom of it. And I think he kind of had this idea, like, did that scrub brush get left in the tank by chance? And long story short, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> so he, he, he used the scrub brush and then like, you know, set it down in the tank to go do something else and hop to the whirlpool or, or something. And he closed it up and he sanitized the tank. And uh, I'm sure he rinsed, you know, because we had a really good SOP program, but it didn't include removing the scrub brush from the tank as part of the SOP. But yeah, so that, that scrub brush uh, lived in that fermenter during uh you know like that probably 12 to 14 day fermentation and and um we went and filtered the beer uh we did everything of course we kept everything sanitary and you know sanitized bright tank purged it everything and we filtered the beer and when the filter was done we opened the tank aired it out and opened it up and sure enough there was that scrub brush inside there so mystery solved the beer ended up uh obviously we weren't going to sell it we had we probably had a hundred barrels, maybe at least, but um, we ended up uh, I think we ended up kegging all of it off, and then some of the some of us employees were able to take some home. It was a pale ale, and uh, I had it on my kegerator and yeah, went through the whole thing, and uh, we kept it around for a few months to see if there was any issues, you know, from a sanitation perspective. And uh, the beer never had. I don't think we had a lab back then, so we couldn't couldn't really do much micro, but the beer tasted great and. Uh, that was that the scrub brush was found and put back scrub in the brush pale. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so that, 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 was, that was a good one. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. pretty. I mean, okay. So did you, did you keep the scrub brush continue to use it or do you, oh, yeah. did you retire it? Oh yeah. It's oh, a good no. scrub brush. It was a good scrub brush. I mean, <laughs> I, I, it was a part of, you know, it was one of those things where, uh, with the guy that left it, left it in the tank, he obviously felt horrible about it, but it was really fun because anytime you had the scrub brush, you could just turn, and look at him and just not make any ex- facial expressions. Just look at him while you're holding the scrub brush, maybe wink and, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you send it in that vibe, man. So <laughs> that was, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, I've heard stories about, you know, birds and stuff and, and mash tons. It's yeah. the first I've heard of a, uh, a expandable 10 foot scrub brush. That's a uh, yeah. good times right there. It was good times. Oof. Well, uh, it, that probably opens opens up the door to a conversation of all different types of items that were dropped into tanks. Oh yeah, while yeah. while brewing, Grant, I'm sure you got a few of those, right? Like oh, sun, sunglasses sure. or flashlights seem to be definitely glasses, right? Yep. I know. I know a pen happened one time. Yeah, like a ballpoint pen, or yeah, just a ballpoint pen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Some person I worked with at the time, it was just you know was able to just uh, get it off the top, so like. Way back then, um, 
you know, the tank we were using was pretty old and it didn't have the, the kettle didn't have a sample port. So to get like, uh, well, I guess this was the whirlpool really. Yeah. I dropped in the whirlpool and back then to take a gravity sample, we just had like a stainless steel pitcher on a rope and lowered in to get a sample of wort to, to measure the gravity. And the, the brewer was fast enough to just grab that and then get the pin as it was like whirlpooling around floating on the top. Oh, wow. This is in for about, you know, 30 seconds. Yep. <laughs> I may be, I may be way, way off base here, but I just, I had this great idea for some, some sort of a uh, invention or, or swag. Yeah. Did y'all ever use uh croquis for your safety glasses? Oh yeah. I mean, was it a requirement or like, you like, you could make one out of duct tape, Grant. We've been talking. I did, about I did not, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we didn't use them. But they, yeah, duct tape. I mean, really, just in general, it's a good idea for sure. Yeah, hang around your neck when you're not in use. Also Especially begs the question: how, how many listeners know what croquis are? Right. 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 Kind of, I mean, kind I, of like indicated indication of the uh, the age group we're in here. Toby? <laughs> <laughs> very, very well. All right. So email us if you don't know what a croquis is. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, and we'll give out the email address later. As I think we are developing one because yep. uh, we are so old and antiquated. But yeah, let us know if you don't know what croquis are. Well, definitely explain them. Nice, John. What else you got, man? Uh, well, you know, that, uh, talking about stuff in the tank is a good segue to the next one. Same brewery. I think it was a tank right next to this one. Well, we were doing this anniversary beer and, uh, it had a, an oak chip uh, edition that was pretty massive. And it was the first time we'd done this. And I'm not going to, this wasn't my idea. I'm just going to put that out there right off the bat. This was not my idea. And I actually developed a uh, workaround for later use, which I will also mention. But anyway, this, so we ended up sanitizing this bright tank through a bunch of oak chips. I want to say like 100 pounds in a, a couple of those like, uh, Maybe not 100 pounds, but those big cool ship bags that CMG sells, the, the uh, they're like, what, 24 by 72 nylon cool ship bag. Anyway, so after the tank was sanitized, I believe we threw it in there and we may have thrown some hot water in there to heat sanitize the oak chips, purge the tank, blah, blah, blah. Well, we filtered the beer in there and we started carbonating it. And then it was time to package and we go and open up the, the bottom valve to let the beer purge the kegging lines and uh, nothing's coming out. And we're like, well, well, what's going on? Like, why isn't it coming out? Well, <laughs> well, because there's this big, huge, ba- I mean, it was dribb- dribbling out, but it wasn't blowing out like, like a fire hose, like it should have. Well, because that big bag of oat chips <laughs> plugged up the drain port on the bottom of the bright tank. <laughs> right. Wow. And wow. Uh, so, you know, we're like, dude, this isn't like a special release anniversary beer. Like, but we can't make it again. We're crunched for time. What are we going to do? Well, we had this, this insane idea and uh, we, we, we made do. We did the best we could with the, with the situation in front of us. Well, we blew down the tank and uh, there was a, a side port for the carb stone on the side of the tank. And yeah, we took that carb stone out of the tank while it was full of beer and, and attempted to get a valve on there, two inch, it was a two inch port. Luckily we had those rigid, uh, hard plastic gaskets, dry clamp gaskets. Uh-huh. The Teflon ones. Yeah. So it was me and the head brewer. And I think he had the valve and I had the gasket. I don't, I don't remember, but, uh, <laughs> dude, when we pulled that carb stone out, it, a beer shot across the brewery, like, like a fire, hose, like, like 20 feet uh, <laughs> and, and, and like just blasting against the wall. And we jumped in there. And I got to tell you, if you haven't taken a beer bath uh, with 
you know, 34 degree beer, carbonated beer, very quickly you realize that number one, you're frozen. And number two, all that CO2 in your eye, it turns to, I think, carbonic acid. That's right. It, uh, yeah, it hurts. So (laughs) we're freezing. We can't see. And then our hands stop functioning because they're so freezing while we're trying to get this, uh, this valve on there. And, you know, it goes without being said that we were completely covered in beer, head to toe, (laughs) completely soaked and freezing. We managed to get the valve on there, but it wasn't centered. So it was leaking. And we just accepted, we pressurized the tank and accepted it, accepted the loss and packaged what we could. And uh, luckily the beer turned out great. I know that there was a video taken of this when this went down. I know for a fact, and I've never been able to see the video. I want to say this is like 2002, 2003, maybe. So it's like terrible. Oh, yeah. Unless somebody had a camcorder, it's like straight potato quality on a flip phone. No, it was from like a, a old, you know, digital camera, the old, uh, okay. the first ones. But but anyway, if if whoever. If you're out there and you've got this video, you know who you are. Send it my way, man. I'd love to see it. Y'all really uh, rolled the dice there to rip a freaking valve off a pressurized tank. That's uh, <laughs> that's uh, hardcore. Yeah, that was uh, it. Was good times, as we used to say very frequently back then. <laughs> good times. Yeah, living the dream. So, uh, what, was your, what was your workaround going forward? Like, I I don't know. Okay, I, I yeah. can envision. Yeah. I can envision somebody with like a, a fishing pole, you know, at the top with yeah. like a no, with like dude. a yeah, you know, with the what a catfish hook, as we used to call that treble hook. You know, yep, just scoop yep. that thing down there and pull it right out. I mean, you probably rip the rip the bag to try right. like blow it down and do it from the top of the right. tank. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so, put, put some guy in a, like a sailor's hat, you know, and have him fishing. Absolutely. I, was, I, I thought the direction you were going with this is you were going to say that you like blasted CO two in the bottom in. Oh yeah, bright. Oh, we tried then, it. Yeah, tried I'm sure. That. I'm sure that was like the first. Okay. Yeah, we blasted CO2. We thought about blasting hot water in there to try to get it to, to float out and, you know, not contaminate it mm. like, like some really hot liquor. But um, neither no, the CO2 didn't work. And and the, the harebrained idea of removing the carb stone was the <laughs> idea that won. And yeah, it was that was rough. That was a fun, a fun brew shift showering all that beer off and continuing to brew that day. For everyone out there listening, if your bright tank has a side port besides a carb stone side port, put a valve on then, it. Yeah, yeah, then you'll never get in this situation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that the workaround was, uh, and this this is this piece of pipe may actually still be in the a part of the tool chest of this this certain brewery. But uh, I had a a standpipe made that basically it had feet. So it inserted, it was a smaller diameter pipe that fit into the drain pipe inside the tank. And it had like legs on it so that it would stay upright. And the pipe, I think we made it to like two or three feet long. So it stood up and it had, it had a bunch of holes drilled into it from all different, all the sides. So that even if you packed, even if you, you put bags of material ingredients in that beer and they settled to the bottom at the at the drain port, it would never clog it, right? Because yeah. it, it, this pipe was open. It was always open, so it was a standpipe. And we that worked, and we did some uh, some pretty gnarly ingredient additions to future beers with that pipe. So I was uh, I was pleased with my ingenuity when it yeah. came to 
that's pretty brilliant really like you know for for extra chunky stuff like like wood then yeah, yeah it's a good way to get around that yeah, huh. yeah. i like it yeah totally good stuff well great you were mentioning at some point in our con- one of our conversations you know we we're talking about additions and it came up quite a quite a bit in our our chats on this podcast but something about one time you're brewing with cinnamon and I can only imagine. So was it, was it cinnamon you were brewing with? You tell me just how yeah. pumpkin yeah. pie spices. Cinnamon was one of the main ones, basically, you know, dr- dry hopping really, but like dry pumpkin spicing, um, a big stout. And, um, you know, uh, without signing up for it, I was basically forced to take the cinnamon challenge. If anybody remembers that old thing. <laughs> so yeah, sitting on top of a, uh, like a, a two forty barrel fermenter with a, a big stainless funnel that um, could clamp on to the to the dry hop port, which was nice that we used for dry hopping and all that. So, but like you're adding cinnamon in, right? But uh, I mean, anyone who's dry hopped a tank before knows that it it kind of CO two bellows out slowly. And putting something more in, than others, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes more than others. And, and putting cinnamon and well, pumpkin powdered pumpkin pie spices into that. I mean, it just creates like a tornado of cinnamon that blows in your face. So, like, you definitely wear goggles and gloves. You f- you find out real quickly that cinnamon in high quantities burns the skin. Oh yeah, yeah, like a hazmat <laughs> uniform, a cinnamon hazmat. You know, you like yeah, one of those right. beekeepers mask and everything. <laughs> well, you know, at the time, I didn't I didn't do all of that, but it became afterwards. So, anyways, put the cinnamon in. And it just blasts me like all over me. I was able to like cap the tank, didn't like didn't really spill much beer, but it, you know, it it caused like a like a dry hop geyser, the same as you know, the other unfortunate thing that could happen with dry hopping is you cre- could have a geyser as the hops cause like nucleation points for the, the CO2 in the beer. So that happened with cinnamon to me, and I was able to slap the cap on it. So it wasn't that much beer lost, but just completely sprayed with cinnamon and and big imperial stout <laughs> awesome you had that, uh, had that cinnamon pumpkin spice taste in your mouth for like two weeks oh yeah like it was like in my like pores like my uh well yeah my wife now but fiance at the time yeah she like could smell me as soon as i walked to the door like after shift that day it was like smoking a cigar you know you can't get that taste out of your mouth for weeks she said yeah <laughs> smelled smelled like pumpkin pie nice <laughs> <laughs> ah, good stuff. Great stuff. John, yeah. anything else to add? Anything else you want to? Yeah, there's one other little fun one with the, I mean, I think the valves coming off tanks are are some of the most exciting times in the brewery. And uh, one day I was I was on my way out the door for the day, five o'clock or so. And I, you know, I have I actually have brand new, brand new leather boots and uh, as well as some like fresh double front car hearts on. Now I had like some fresh gear on. And um, as I was getting in my truck, I heard my coworker yell my name. He's like, John, John. And I like, I heard that yell and I was just like, like, I I was almost out of here, man. And I was just like, what? And he's like, you got to come in. You got to come in. Well, we had these uh, 600 barrel bright tanks. And um, one of them had like, I think like 450 barrels of beer in it that was pressurized to like 20 PSI because it had just been carved and was getting ready to be packaged. And um, somehow the guy who had just sanitized the line from the tank to the filler, or maybe the, the maybe he had just, he had been kegging and he accidentally took off the clamp behind the valve rather than the clamp in front between the valve and his T. Classic. And uh, this was a three inch valve. 
a three inch that's serious fork, and i walked in and i watched this uh the cellar area fill up with like a foot of beer and i i literally i believe we had beer running out the, out onto the street i had been in these situations a couple of times before obviously with my story a few minutes ago but um <laughs> I, I just stood there and i was like i'm not i'm not jumping in like i see all these people here that have never done this before and it's not like I've got a bunch of experience and I'm good at it. No, it's, it's, you just have to get in there and take, take care of it. But, um, I watched, I think four or five people go in and try to get a valve back on that tank over the course of maybe 10 minutes of beer flowing out of there. And it finally, it wasn't until packaging manager who, you know, really wasn't a production guy. He was just uh, management, not much production experience, if any. Uh, he ended up getting it on there, but we we lost 150 barrels of beer that that afternoon, and that was good. quite the sight. Oof. So it wasn't the last time that happened by any means in that brewery, but uh, that was a that was a good one. So <laughs> note to self: before you ever undo a clamp, always make sure you're undoing the right one because it's so easy to get caught up and get distracted and make those mistakes, and you know that can lead to uh, not just loss of beer, but you know, potentially uh, people getting really hurt. So that's been a common theme. Yeah. It's been a common theme today while we're uh, chatting with folks. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely can be dangerous at times. So yeah. All good, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on, John. So uh, it's, it's me. pretty awesome that we hear your stories and I, you've got plenty of more. And maybe at, at some point we'll, we'll, we'll pick your brain. You're an interesting guy. Oh, you've done a podcast with us, right? Or Whirlpool about, uh, some very interesting stuff you've done before too. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Like what was that one about the uh, the uh, biodiesel? The, the biodiesel. If you, if you haven't listened to that one, it's it's floating around on our website or you know, Spotify or whatever somewhere. It's a good one. Back season one. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Thanks for your time, John. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah no worries. Always a pleasure. Yep. All right, guys. We'll talk to you. All right. Now, Grant, you've been uh, just a, a standby participant in these. I uh, I know that you potentially have some crazy stories or interesting stories to tell in your, in your tenure. Right. So oh, I'm going yes. to put you on the spot here, buddy. What you got? Okay. I'm going to launch into like the, the weirdest, you know, the most unique situation and one that I could think of something that happened to, uh, you know, I won't name any names, but, um, was working overnight shift. And, you know, at the time the, the brewery was just super busy. And we had stored a bunch of super sacks on the third floor of our building. We had a big freight elevator and we'd bring the super sacks up one at a time to the top. And, um, you know, then it was time to use them. We had to move them back down in our grain room. It was a very temporary thing for us. Let me stop you there. So when you're moving them up on this, this elevator, it's on a forklift or how do you get down to the, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you could forklift right up to the freight elevator. You know, it was a very old building, but a very stout built building, late 1800s. You know, it was a, just a long time, big factory building. And so you put on the freight elevator, one person forklift at the bottom, and then you could just scoot it on. And then at the top, there was a small forklift up there with a barrel room and you could pull it off. I got you. So still on the pallet. Correct. Okay. All right. Good. Yep. 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 So then we stored of them. I, I don't know, maybe 12 of them on the third floor and we had to move them back down. Of course it was, you know, in the middle of the night, somewhere around one, 2 AM on a, on an overnight shift. And, uh, you know, I was pretty, I was pretty green at the time. I think it was maybe six months in, you know, just not, not being a wizard at the forklift yet and not used to driving on the third floor really. And, uh, I go to put 
a super sack on from the top and the other brewers at the bottom, like waiting to, to unload as I send it down. And, um, you know, there was a crack in the concrete, like right by the edge of the freight elevator, just not really a crack, but just like a little, little bump. So you kind of had to, to push it a little bit harder to get it onto the elevator. And when I did the super sack tipped over on the oh, freight no. elevator on the third floor, oh, no. um, and you know, a super sack's, you know, 2,200 pounds. Oh, oh so. And, you know, if you know a freight elevator, they don't have like doors, right? Yeah. They just have like the little, the wooden things that close, you know, it's very mm-hmm. old school. So I was able to go over there and like stop it real quick. But at the top of Super Sack, it probably dumped out. You know, I didn't know at the time. It doesn't sound like that much compared to 2,200 pounds, but yeah, probably three or 400 pounds of pills malt like spilled down a elevator shaft. Oh my gosh. Were, were, I mean, were you yelling at your, your yeah. coworker? Yeah. Hey! Yeah. Like, he ran, it, it's raining. Yeah. He ran up the stairs and oh, no. you know, we were able to tip it up pretty quick. And you know, in the scheme of things like 400 pounds of malt, it's like, it's not fun, but for a large brewery, it's not really that much to, you know, not going to cry about it, but the, but clean up the mess was awful because it had gone down and on the second floor was a kitchen and it hit like, you know, once barley, the malt is really hard and it kind of bounces. Right. So like it made a mess on all three floors and then ended up in the bottom of the elevator shaft in the basement. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, first of all, that's scary. Right. I mean, it, yeah. anything can happen, but I can only imagine. So so what did you did you have to get in there with like a shop vac and like you got grease up, grease up all the parts? <laughs> or, did you, or did you call that made major like elevator company that uh, no. I forgot the name of them? But hey, come on out. Yeah, you were in there, right. no, in there by hand, like fortune. cleaning up by a uh, by floor. Yeah. So pretty much just swept up every single floor. So swept up like four floors and then, you know, got the elevator, like cut the power to it, did all that, got in the bottom of the shaft and, uh, you know, there's no one else in the building, but then shop backed out the rest probably, you know, in total, probably to, to get it spotless, like, like we liked it was, uh, you know, I probably cost myself two, three hours of labor, which sucked. Gosh. <laughs> Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's wild. That's that. That is wild. I'm glad. Again, glad nobody was was right. was hurt. No one was hurt. I, yeah. I can only imagine. Like again, we talk about having uh, you know video or something like the sheer oh no on your face as that thing you see slowly tipping Just, over. Oh right. man. <laughs> oh, I I think I think that cut some years off into my life right there. <laughs> no, I bet I bet. <laughs> but um, it ended up being okay. It's just. You know, I don't think many people can say they've spilled a spilled malt down an elevator shaft. No, no, I'd, I'd say that's the first I heard of it. Yep. No, well, that's all good. Well, that's all, so, you know, the ins and outs of an elevator shaft pretty. Yes. Pretty yeah, well. I learned well. a lot about freight elevators that day. <laughs> oh, man. Awesome, Grant. That was a good one. <laughs> Very good. Well, I appreciate your participation here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got to got to got to, you know, help the team out a little bit. Make everybody feel good. Tell your own embarrassing story. Right. That's right. That's right. And I'm glad you did. You knew I'd call you out too. <laughs> All right, Grant. I appreciate it, man. We will talk soon. Yep. I got to tell you, this episode was an absolute blast. Thanks to uh, all of our guests today, Jeff Fisher, Zach Grossfeld, Tim Roberts, CJ Penzone, John Egan, and Grant Lawrence. Thank you. I'm going to go out and buy some stock and duct tape right now. The universal connector for sure. After uh, all these stories. And uh, for you listeners, if you have some wild, crazy stories from your brew deck, hit us up. We'd love to hear about them. Or if you have any topics or show ideas you'd like for us to conquer in the future, uh, reach out to us as well. In the meantime, 
Be sure and subscribe for future episode releases wherever that portal may be that you listen to podcasts. Cheers. Talk to you next time.